Hello, and welcome to the Teens for Peace podcast. We are excited you've joined us, whether you're a new or returning listener. Before we get into the content, allow me to introduce myself and a little bit about what I'm setting out to do. My name is Max Hyman. I'm 17 and from the Chicago area, and I have big dreams to make the world a more hospitable, loving, and peaceful place. My vision for that starts with teenagers. See, I've spent over two years exploring the world of teenagers and peacemaking. My project, Teens for Peace in the Middle East, interviews Israeli and Palestinian teenagers to understand their experiences and perspectives on the conflict between their two peoples. Through it, I've found some fascinating trends and patterns. Above all, I discovered that teenagers fit a unique age group in which stereotypes are present, but not yet hardened and unchangeable. So I've made it my mission to share the stories of teenagers in conflicts worldwide to help alter untrue stereotypes about the other before they become set in stone. By building a platform of connected teenagers, I hope to contribute towards a more peaceful world where peace starts in youth. This podcast miniseries will discuss in depth each of the questions I've asked over 30 Israeli and Palestinian teens to examine how different experiences have impacted their views on the conflict between their two peoples. The hope is that, by the end of this mini-series, both you and I will have a better idea of how we can promote young people in peacebuilding, and understand why young people play such a crucial part not just in conflict, but in bringing about change in multiple contexts. This is the Teens for Peace podcast. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the string of violence occurring across the land as I record this episode in late March. Just today, on March 29th, a gunman killed five people in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish suburb of Tel Aviv, adding to dozens of killings of people from various backgrounds in the past two weeks. It is of the utmost importance in light of these events to focus on stopping the cycle of hatred. When people are taught to hate, or even not taught to avoid hatred, It spreads like a virus. So today, for our next episode, let's dive into the question of school. The age of TPME interviewees means that differences in education have a major impact on the mind of these young people, whether for better or worse. Of all the questions I asked in my 30-plus interviews, the responses to this question were among the most interesting, because they varied based on type, location, and structure of the school one attends. The framing of the question boiled down to, in school, how do they introduce the idea of the conflict? What impacts has this introduction had on you? Should the way the conflict is taught be changed? Let's dive in and keep an open mind. Remember, one's experience doesn't reflect all of a government or school. More. 18-year-old Israeli, tells us that one's experience of the conflict in his school is largely situational, and that each teacher inserts their own view of the situation. But, Moore says, um, And also in school, it's not something that often is talked about, like, um, in class, like, as a, they don't teach you about the conflict, uh, but it, it is something that you talk about um, with your classmates and with the teachers, just because it's a very important topic, a very prevalent topic for most people in Israel. So there's not a strong curriculum of bias or equality training, 
But rather, school is yet another battleground of ideas where, sure, people discuss, but it's not guaranteed that this discussion is productive or helpful. Further, he paints a picture of blissful ignorance in Israel, saying that many, knowingly or unknowingly, take the easy way out instead of having difficult conversations early on. And, but I think most, most students in Israel are very ignorant of the subject, and not because they don't want to learn, just because it's not something that, you know, most people are happy to put the time right. and effort to learn about, because it's not a very easy or, I don't know, pleasant topic to them. Part of this ignorance, he says, comes from the lack of Arabic in Jewish schools, despite how intertwined the languages are and must be for a peaceful future. He tells us that teaching just the basics isn't sufficient for a true and meaningful connection with an Arab peer. Yeah, I, I think a change must be made, uh, mainly regarding the teaching of Arabic in schools. Uh, like, for example, it's mandatory to teach Arabic in um, seventh through ninth, through ninth grade, like for three years, uh, which sounds like a pretty good deal. Like you get three years of uh, learning Arabic, and if you want, you can also continue. Um, but uh, most, I mean, I don't remember anything uh, like about my Arabic, uh, um, what I was learning there uh, in the Arabic lessons. Um, it's not, it's not going to teach you how to talk, how to speak Arabic, how to understand uh, fluent Arabic. It's going to teach you the basics, like the alphabet, and that's it probably. Um, and I think, I believe that, I mean, we, we get to learn English from first grade to 12th grade. So why not Arabic, which is, I feel almost as, you know, if not more uh, relevant to our life. Um, right. I think it's supposed to be mandatory for Jewish students to learn Arabic and for Arabic students to learn Hebrew. And If we aren't teaching kids the languages of their country, we set the precedent that it's not important to communicate with those people. Even simpler than that, how can you make friends with a neighbor if you can't understand them, not just emotionally, not just historically, but literally? Eli, 20-year-old Israeli, says the conflict is viewed from a more historical perspective in school and that the curriculum he was given uses historical foundations to prove his side to be the right one. In school, uh, because it is, it's a Jewish country, they, you see most of the time uh, why like our side is the right side, mm-hmm. which I, I, I think it is. But uh, when you get older and, and you see the environment, you see that there's stuff that they don't teach you in school. Uh, like what? Like uh, in in school, all, all you you see is um, they, they like it's really not much go back to the, to the history. In the I I talk about like the first to to sixth grade when you don't learn much history, but uh, when uh, there is go bys. Uh, then you go more back in history and we have uh, history classes and then we learn uh, like really what happened, what, what uh, made the conflict to, to start, what started it. 
It's almost as if they're using arguments to fight over the minds of these children and reinforcing teachings of their parents and the media that there is no gray area and that there is only those in the right and those in the wrong. The curriculum is designed to, throughout childhood, grow with these kids, to keep reinforcing one thing and bringing in more and more evidence to prove that it's true without nuance. So whether you believe your side is right or not, Eli is saying that getting information from only one source and that keeps reinforcing itself might not be the best path. Some curriculums, depending on the part of the land that you're in, are more stringent, sometimes making efforts to avoid the topic entirely for a smoother and less controversial educational experience. Yaniv, 13-year-old Israeli, says, In school, um, usually, um, first of all, they introduce you um, when you come to school. Um, I remember the first day of every school that I went to, and I uh, and in elementary school and now in, in middle school. So and every time that um, we go to another building or another place, we always um, need to know where is the bomb shelter if something happens. And um, the history of the conflict, we heard once from our geography teacher, and uh, we're, we're not supposed to learn it at school, in our specific school, and... It's a bit weird for me because I don't really know why we're not supposed to learn about it because it's very interesting. And um, my geography um, teacher, he believed that we really needed to learn about it and have some I know why, um, why this is happening and how, how we can we prevent it, if we can prevent it. Even. Sure. He says, despite the fact that one of his teachers went against said rules, quote, we aren't allowed to learn about it. Yaniv was bewildered. How could they need to know where the bomb shelters are, but not have the time or interest in talking about the conflict, causing the need to know where those bomb shelters are? I responded to his answer with a follow-up question about just that. So you were taught that you were being bombed, but you weren't taught why, in a way. And... Why do you think that you're not supposed to be taught that in school? Do you think it's because you might gain empathy towards other people? Or do you think it's more of like an internal thing where they don't want to even create any um, curiosity at all? I think that it's just because um, we have some teachers that, first of all, don't want to talk about it. It's uh, because they, um, they have a personal opinion. And they cannot talk about it. If they're going to talk about it in school, they need to say um, they need to say that both of the sides are okay. And some teachers are cannot um, say that, and because they don't believe in that. And right. So to properly introduce the conflict. You need different perspectives and ideas. Yes, that is acknowledged by his administration, but teachers aren't willing to do that, so it's avoided entirely. Serena, a Palestinian in East Jerusalem, 
illustrates the differences in the school system where she lives. It's it's more like we did like we always like we always like in history classes we always like have this subject, and it's called like um this the Israeli movement, and it's just like the Zionism movement, not Israeli because we don't use the word Israel in our history books because we don't wow. admit that is you know it's just like we use the Zionism wow. more. The, quote, Zionist movement has been a topic in her history studies since she was young, and she has noticed that none of her notebooks or materials ever use the word Israel or Israeli to avoid legitimization. It has been framed from the very start of her studies as an occupation. The stories she was taught say that Zionists completely ignored the people already in the land and their hospitality and are therefore cold and heartless. There is no mention of any peace agreements, no mention of any peace-building programs, and worst of all, this curriculum villainizes associating with the other in any way, meaning it's unlikely Serena will go against the norms given to her and interact with others to find out that the situation might not be fully explained in a textbook. Sixteen-year-old Amjad, a Palestinian from Gaza, tells the story of schools from a different angle. Gaza is a territory in the west of the land, holding almost two million residents, all of which are Arab Muslims, on a strip three nautical miles long. Thirty-eight percent of Gazans live in poverty, for some context, according to the UN, with 26 percent unemployment. The average wage has declined 20 percent there in the last six years, and 54% are food insecure. 90% of water from the territory's aquifer is undrinkable. In short, the UN published a report a decade ago saying that Gaza would be unlivable by 2020. Now, it's 2022. Most Gazans blame the entire situation on Israeli policy, and anti-Israel activism and extremism thrives there. So, Amjad says, in Gaza... Schools teach you how to survive, and they talk about how things got like this. Uh, in schools, they teach us uh, to to how how to deal with the, with the blockade and how to deal with the life in Gaza, in general, and they teach us uh, how to <clears throat> why actually they teach us why the the Israelis occupied us and. Uh, from where they came and uh, how they how they started the wars, and they teach us that the only way to <clears throat> to resist is by uh, knowledge and. But in trying to explain the harshness of Israeli collective punishment. Gazan schools, ironically, promote stereotypes of all Israelis. Gazan schools can't afford to ignore things because kids need to survive the lives they face. But in demonizing all Israelis, the situation does not improve and is instead exacerbated. Shraga, 18-year-old Israeli, had an experience with school that transcended the classroom. Firstly, he says, 
so I don't think that that topic was actually introduced in school. That's just the culture that we live in. We know that, you know, we, we feel it. Hang on. We feel it. We don't like need to be told it. Like we, we feel it. We look around, like we have, you know, say, uh, my friend's big brother going into the army to defend people. Like we, we know what's going on and we don't really need it to be introduced in school. It wasn't talked about in school. But this curriculum ignorance was met with an event. And a quick warning to our listeners of violence in this following segment. I can tell you what happened. Uh, as far as I know, my teacher, um, his name was Ari Fold. Um, he was just, uh, he was walking around, I don't know exactly where. Um, this uh, teenager went to a falafel stand and asked some questions. I don't remember exactly what, though. I didn't expect to be talking about it much, um, so I didn't remember everything and look it up and now I remember things but um I know that he ran up behind him and uh stabbed him and my teacher he uh, neutralized the uh the attacker and then died from bleeding first Shraga was told in the classroom not to worry about what's going on out there and then his teacher was killed by what's going on out there so what's changed in his life as a result so it's not really out of the ordinary. Lots of people have it happening to them. Um, my friend, he uh, was just right now, right next to where he uh, was. Um, there was a stoning of a uh, 40-year-old woman. Uh, happened literally a couple of hours ago. It's just, it's kind of commonplace. Like, it's it's sad, and it, you know, it was really uh, sad for a while. Um, it didn't anger me um, towards the other side. It just made me upset that this was what's going on. Not much changed. Shraga's been desensitized. In other words, a curriculum that taught him that the conflict just happens led him to detach from the effects of the conflict, especially on his school. Shad, 16-year-old Palestinian living in Israel, says the aim of her civil law class is to, um, to adopt a more Israeli way of living. Okay, so that subject is taught to Jews and uh, Arabs as well. But it's basically about the the Jewish state and the laws and uh, or like the democratic state that we're living in. Um, yeah, it, uh, so it's about that. So it mentions the conflict sometimes. So we have to learn it, but we learn it from an Israeli narrative. So, she says, when kids come from mixed backgrounds, Israeli curriculum aims to create uniformed beliefs on the conflict and specifically teaches the entire conflict through an Israeli perspective. However, when the kids are solely Israeli, the topic doesn't need to be mentioned. This juxtaposition is especially interesting when combined with facts we've learned earlier, like Moore telling us about the lack of Arabic instruction. Lastly, Shai 16-year-old Israeli, acknowledges this problem we've been discussing of selective ignorance. Shai's concerned with the way things are. I think one of the problems here is that people, they don't learn a lot. There's a lot of lack of information here about the other side. People usually, they learn a lot about, like, what is happening to my side. For example, if I'm Israeli, I know what happened, for example, with my soldiers. If I'm Arabic, I know what happened for some, for, for example, 
if someone call, uh, killed uh, Arabic civilian for no reason. But at the same time, we don't learn uh, about what is happening to the other side. So this is the uh, reason of why people have racism here, why people are afraid of each side because they don't know each other. It's kind of a topic that schools try to avoid to maybe, in my opinion, avoid a trouble in the classroom, avoid a discussion. And this is something, if you don't start this uh, kind of topic, since, uh, uh, like, if teachers, they don't uh, start to teach this, since, like, their, their students are kids, it's kind of hard to teach for them when they're, like, uh, 17, 18, because you already know, like, your mind is already set. So it's not solely a problem of childhood, but a lifelong cycle of stereotypes and hatred that we initiate by not presenting the complete truth in the classroom. And that goes for both sides. When Israelis don't talk about Palestinians and Palestinian history, and when Palestinians don't talk about Israelis and Israeli history, we've got a real problem on our hands. Because all they know is what they're told by their parents and by the media. But those are topics for another episode. So what can we do about all this? How can we bring peace building to the masses through schools? Should we? Well, to me, yes and no. Yes, it's time to make a change. School systems like Hand in Hand are bringing together Israelis and Palestinians to learn in a peace building centric environment, which, although ideal, isn't always possible for everyone in towns that are primarily or entirely of one ethnic makeup. So, building on Moore's ideas, Let's start with language. Prolonged instruction in Arabic or Hebrew throughout childhood in all relevant school systems isn't necessarily the most expensive of solutions. And if kids can interact with each other and understand each other, de-stereotyping can happen on its own. It's not a perfect solution, but it's a significant start. Lastly, it is of the utmost importance that we discuss dual histories. If we can teach about what's going on and why from a little bit of all the perspectives, we can at least lay a groundwork and create a mindset that the other is at least worth a chance. Otherwise, we face a grim future. That will about wrap it up for our second episode. But if you enjoyed, stay tuned for more and check out our website at teenspeace.org. Next time, we'll be diving into the impacts of the media in shaping young minds. Again, I'm Max Hyman for the Teens for Peace podcast. Thanks for listening.